Hey legends, my name is Mo and welcome to the Can't Can World podcast. I'm a Royal Marine who is dedicated to optimizing human performance and want to bring you exposure to the fantastic people supporting the same aim. Today I speak to a man who represents a lifetime of hard work, dedication and vision to progress from humble beginnings into becoming the COO of Virgin Media. We talk about business, leadership, mindset and resilience, which drives him to be better tomorrow than today. Episode six, Jeff Dodds. Jeff, can you explain what your childhood was like and your experiences when you were younger? Mate, that's a big that's a big opening question, isn't it? I might have to get the couch out and lay down on the couch for that. Um, yeah, grew up in a. Um, uh, uh, I have one sibling, older brother. Um, uh, Mum and dad uh, both worked. So my dad was in the fire service. So he actually, like most people in the fire service, when I was young, he was he was spinning multiple plates. So he was doing a bit of butchery, uh, a bit of painting and decorating and also working in the fire service. Um, my mum was fruit picking for my very formative years. Um, she then went to work in a nursing home. And then from there, she got a nursing qualifications and became a district nurse. Um, so that so they were very much shift based, Mo. So they were um, not always around at the same time but obviously putting in a shift to try and put food on the table. So my brother and I, as a result of that, very close. He's about three and a half years older than me, highly academic and not very sporty. We're, we're completely opposite in that sense. Very close growing up. Um, he, uh, he's a gay man. He came out in his kind of late teens, early 20s. So I think for a lot of his childhood, you know, he had certain barriers he was having to overcome and certain challenges during the 80s, 80s and early 90s. Uh, best man at my wedding. We still remain incredibly close. Uh, I've got two boys, so he and he, he dotes on them. So we see a lot of him when we can, when we're not in lockdown. Uh, yeah, we grew up. We grew up in Kent. I met my wife actually when I was 16. So we've been together 31 years this year. So when you meet your kind of life partner that young, uh, I think that has quite an impact on you as well. So m- my childhood was a real mix mo of um, very social, very tight knit group of friends. Met my wife when I was 16. Not that I knew she'd be my wife then, but I met my wife when I was 16. Very into sport. Went through the motions at school. Did OK at school, but I was never particularly focused on it. I was much more focused on captaining in the rugby team or the cricket team getting out there and spending uh, spending the evenings with friends or with her. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a quick whistle stop for you. Wow. I mean, that's a lot to unpack there, eh? Were you a good boy when you were growing up? Did you, or did you have a little you have a little bit of edge about you or, you? or were you quite focused in your sports and, and committed to what you wanted to do? I think you can be a good boy and focused on sports or a bad boy and focused on sports. I think they're the same. I would say I was... Um, I wasn't a wild child in the sense that, you know, I wasn't off the rails, but I don't think I was bolted on the rails either, to be honest with you. So, um, no, you know, I, I put a lot of my energy into sport. Fortunately for me, I think a lot of that that kind of anger and aggression that young men work out in pubs or when they're out on the tiles after a few drinks with their friends, I never had because my sports were martial arts and they were rugby and they were things where I was able to get that aggression out on a Saturday morning on a pitch or on a Saturday afternoon on a mat if I was, if I was fighting. And therefore, I didn't have any of that going on. But, you know, I, I'm sure my parents would say, well, I know they'd say because they tell it to me regularly, but they would say, you know, 
very difficult to get motivated around academics very difficult to pin me down in an evening you know always out always out with people I'm sure they had many 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 late nights or early mornings waiting for me to show up again and um yeah you know like to like a good time so I'm sure I'm I look at my boys now I've got a 12 year old and a nine year old and um you know the anxiety I, I already have at the thought of sitting there not knowing where they are and, and that kind of stuff. I dread to think what mine and many other people's parents went through back in the uh, back in the eighties and nineties. But um, I I guess I had a little mischievous edge to me, but um, but not completely off the rails. Did you know what you wanted to do when you was a child? I don't know now. No, uh, no, not at all. Not at all. I um, no. I I think I. Like most kids, I probably had a dream of kind of playing top class sport. I say professional sport, but it wasn't really professional when I was growing up. There was a lot of top class sports. I had a dream of top class sport as I was going through that kind of 14, 15, 16. I never pinned my hopes on one sport early enough, though. I like doing too many different things. And because of that, that was never going to happen. Um, no, I didn't. I, I wanted to I, because I enjoyed socialising. I wanted to get out when I, when I went into work. I wanted to earn money. I wanted to earn the money so that I could go out and enjoy myself and spend time with my friends and go on little trips and stuff like that. So no, so I got into earning money as fast as I possibly could really. And then from there, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but once I was in and earning money, um, you know, never shied away from a challenge or an opportunity that came my way. And, and I guess, you know, in my late forties, that's still my MO to some degree. I, I love a, ch I love a challenge, personal or work. Um, and I've never, you know, I've never ducked one yet. So, so you say you love a challenge. Do you believe that that may be a contributing factor to the reason why you've been successful? Yeah, and I think for personal challenges. So if, let's talk about personal first. So, if I if I'm going to do anything, uh, by the way, I I choose my challenges quite carefully. So you know, I, I do the things I want to do or enjoy doing. Um, but they can be incredibly complex. Um, uh, but I find by taking on a personal challenge, my personal motivation to get stuck in and put the effort in is much higher. So a good example of that would be when I was the chief exec of a business out in the Netherlands, my family came home to the UK. So I effectively came home on a Friday night, saw them on a Saturday or Sunday morning, but then went back to the Netherlands. So to manage my time there by myself, I decided I would run the Comrades Marathon. I don't know if you know the Comrades, but that's a, a roughly 60 mile hill run in South Africa with lots of gated times for cutoffs. So it's, um, it's kind of you run a marathon, you run another marathon, then you finish off with a 10K in 30 degrees of heat over, over the hills in South Africa. But I knew that the only chance I'd have to train for that was when I could do it by myself. And therefore, you know, I threw myself into that challenge. Um, I need a big challenge in life. I, pitching up and going to the gym every day with nothing at the end of it, I find much more complex. I want to have something I'm aiming for, or something I'm pushing towards. And I do think that carries over into work for me. So, you know, as a leader in the business, first of all, I look at the teams of people that, that I'm lucky enough to work with. I love the people that look for the challenges. So I want, I really enjoy it when I see people not trying to duck it, not trying to hide away at the back of the class, but the people that are there saying, bring it on. I'll, that sounds complicated. I'll have a go, you know, send that my way. Let me, let me have a go. 
And I also think when you take on challenges, very rarely in business, Mo, um, is there something that is good or bad, right or wrong, works or fails. They're all in the margins. They're all in the middle of that. So my encouragement to everybody, and, and I do it myself, is if there's a challenge there, take it on and give it a shot because the taking it on is part of, part of the process. Show people you're up for taking it on. But also, it's not. don't worry. It's not like at the end of it, someone will say you failed at that or you succeeded at that. It, life's never that binary. There are some bits you will have done really well at and other things you won't. The key thing is, have you learned anything in the journey? That, that for me, life's all about learning. And, and that's why I, I love a new challenge because I know I'm going to come out of it knowing more than I did going into it. So that's very growth mindset rather than fixed. Yeah. Comple- completely, yeah, completely. Particularly personal as well. And I'm, you're a much younger man than me, Mo, but you know, I'm 47. And um, you know, even now... Every day for me, I, I'm learning something, whether I'm reading a book, listening to a pod, uh, talking to somebody else, talking to the people at work, taking on a challenge at work, watching the kids learn their instruments or, or listening to their school lessons at home. I'm learning something every day. When, you, when we look at the growth mindset that you have specifically to do with personal, I think that's quite an easier challenge in itself to apply because Mm. how does that relate though into the private sector where targets and and outputs are demanded for obvious reason you can be um, mistaken for developing a fixed mindset because it's about the end state not the process so how do you apply that sort of thought process in a in a professional capacity Uh, and in my role particularly it's a bit about both because I'm, I'm paid to deliver the operations of the business. So I'm, I'm paid to make sure that tomorrow we hit our sales numbers. Tomorrow, you know, our customer care performance is good. I, I'm in, in some respects, I'm focused to have my periscope just under the water level, de- making sure that in the moment the business is operating really well. On the other hand, no business gets better over time by having its periscope below the water level. So you've got to find the moments for me, you have to find the moments when you need to focus on what's right in front of you, but also put the time in or when you have the time, whack the periscope up, look further out and try to, to think about what's coming in the future and where you can differentiate. It's not one or the other. Um, I, I never forget a great analogy someone gave. I used to work for Honda many years ago. And one of the guys there who ran the motorcycling team, the, the kind of superbike team, always said to me when he was looking for riders, great riders for the team, you know, really good riders are looking um, around the corner. They're looking around the corner, not at the corner, looking around the corner. He said, but the really great riders are looking two corners ahead because they, they, it's about not just the one you're coming into, it's how you exit that one to give yourself maximum speed into the next one. And as a leader, you need to understand when you need to be looking at your speedo with your head down and when you need to be looking two, two corners ahead. And that's not an easy skill, I don't think. I think it's one you acquire over time, this balance between making sure you're delivering the day-to-day because that gives you the credibility and affords you the time to think about the growth, what's coming next. If you're only ever focused on the future and you screw up the day, no one, care, no one cares about the future then. You, you run out of time. If you're only ever focused on the day, then the world moves around you and all of a sudden you realise you're out of date or you're out of touch and the competition's moved on and you're still focused in the moment. So I think, um, but the great thing, Mo, is it's not about one person, is it? 
So I don't have to do everything. I have to build a great team of people, some of whom are looking down the track, some of whom are looking at the day to day. And my job is to try and conduct it and work, work with them and help them grow, help them get the best out of their, um, their potential. What was your first job? Um, so when I, when I finished exams, my first job, and I talked about this on LinkedIn the other day, actually, was um, I went and got a part-time job. Well, it, it was a full-time job, but for a short period of time over the summer. So I did a, a, like five or six months working for a construction company that were building roads. And um, yes, yeah, so, so largely I was lifting curbstones and driving bulldozers. For yeah, That was my first proper job with with a lot of lifelong construction uh, workers, you know, people that have been doing it for 20, 30 years. Um, I think they loved having me around because it meant they didn't have to pick up the curbstones. They would just point me as the young boy and get me to do all the heavy lifting. But the interesting thing is where we built the road um, is not a million miles away from where my in-laws live. And there's this really interesting thing that that would have been, what, 30 years ago nearly, 27, 28 years ago. I can drive down that road now and, you know, it's still there. Right. So it's interesting that you know, it just shows you, you know, that some things are enduring, aren't they? You know, all that all that effort that was put in 30 odd years ago as an as a older teenager. Um, but I look back on now and think, God, that was hard work that summer. But the road's still there. You know, it's still there and it makes me smile every time I drive over it. What job did you get after that one? Where did you go next? I can't, the, fir- the first um, the first 10 years of my life, Mo, I was in the automotive sector. So I, I went, I worked for like privately owned groups that had motor franchises um, and I worked there as what they would call like a business manager. So somebody that was looking after the numbers, the stock, the finances. How did you get into that? What was the, was it just circumstance that you went, <laughs> no, oh, that's... No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it was. I was, I was introduced to somebody who worked for one of the big motor financing companies and they, they said, you should do this. You, you love cars. You, you, you love your numbers. This would be a great, you should get a kind of an, not an apprenticeship, but you should get in and learn the ropes at a, a private dealer. And he introduced me. And when I was in, I was kind of in. Then to your point, you know, I didn't want to just be a good business manager. I wanted to be at the top of the league tables for the, for the manufacturer that I could see on who was selling what and how fast they were selling it. And, and I, I went through that. So I went, I went for a while working for private dealerships before I went off to work for the manufacturer. And my first job on the manufacturer side was with Volvo. Um, and they'd been bought by Ford Motor Company at the time. And I went off to work for them. And I, I looked after uh, London and the Southeast, as in I looked after their dealers in London and the Southeast. So trying to help manage the performance of those dealers. Um, then I went on to Honda, bigger job, looked after one half of the country. Then I looked after marketing for their power products. And then I looked after marketing for their cars. Um, so I did kind of a 10-year slot in automotive. Um, I worked in the golf industry for a couple of years in between, which I, I would call a labour of love. I worked for Callaway, amazing company, um, just as a passion point for me. I love golf, and it was a fabulous two years. But then I went on, and I, the last 10 years I've done in telco and media. So um, I came in maybe more than 10 years, actually, 12 years, 13 years, something like that. But You say that you spent about 10 years in the motor industry. and. Yeah. I just want to sort of just unpick uh, something that you said there where you went, uh, you, you mentioned about, yeah, I, I got, got a job and managed one half of the country. That's what clearly on, on promotion, um, you were promoted within that yeah. time to, to yeah. do that. You know, the way you say that, it makes it sound easy, but it wouldn't, I, I'm assuming that it wouldn't have been easy in terms of that promotion. Yeah. 
or, or was it? I mean, because well, I think that was I think... when I changed. Yeah, it's a great. That's when I changed companies. So I went from doing what I was doing for Volvo to being hired by Honda to go and do it for them. Um, so were you headhunted, or were yeah. you you were? Okay. Yeah, I was approached by a by a, a recruiter to go. So how how did that happen? So I've been I've been in public service yeah. all my life. How does that yeah. happen? Does, does it just because you do a great job and someone finds out, or what? What what's the? I think um I think if you if we're on look. You, you talk to a headhunter, I'm sure they'll make it sound much more complex, and I'm sure it is complex. But I think if you're given a challenge of filling a role as a headhunter, you're gonna there's a there's a pool of people you're looking for. So you're gonna if you were filling a role for who can look after dealers for um, Honda uh, in a certain part of the world, I guess you're gonna look at other manufacturers, and you're gonna look at who's doing a job looking after dealers in other manufacturers. And then you're going to talk to a few of them and you'll get the vibe, right? When you talk to them, you'll get a sense of, is that somebody that will fit the culture or is that somebody who won't? And I went through an interview process with them. Really, really love that company. Um, a, a little aside, I always say, if I haven't been at Honda for a very long time, you know, 14 years, 15 years. But if I had to turn up and do the, the talk on the culture of Honda to the new starters there tomorrow, I could still do that such a strong philosophy, such a strong culture. I could turn up tomorrow and still do that session. So yeah, so the headhunter spoke to me. I met them. I then met Honda. I spoke to their, their leadership team and they obviously felt my background and my style or my, my values fitted with their culture. Um, but but your, I think your question is a good one. And maybe, maybe this is something I would encourage everyone to do. And I don't, I know it's not easy for everybody, but opportunities don't come along that often in the workplace um when they do i think you've got to take them even if you feel out of your comfort zone to some degree or you're not sure how you'll be able to do it or whether you'll be able to do it for me and maybe this is a bit more about me but i would say if someone's asking you to do to do something or to take on a challenge they've already assessed they think you can do it I don't think you need to second guess whether you can yourself. I think someone said to you, I know you and I've seen what you're doing. I think you can do this. I know a lot of people that then will say, well, I don't think I can. But for me, you don't even have to go through that part of the process. Someone's told you that they're investing in you and they believe you can do it. And then my view is, well, take the opportunity, give it everything you've got. Because to our conversation earlier, you're either going to smash it in which case, what a brilliant platform to go up the organisation. Or you're not going to smash it. And there's no smashed it or failed. Often it will be, it'll be variations of, of, of winning or losing. But God, you learn so much. I mean, the next interview you go for, someone's going to say to you, give me an example of a time when you failed at something. Oh, I'd rather have an example I could actually use and say, well, look, I've just come off of this challenge that I took and I learned all this great stuff. But you know what? This bit didn't go so well. Because to your growth mindset part, um, I think life would be pretty dull if every year that went by, you didn't develop from a career perspective or a career learning perspective. I have a phrase I use, Mo, occasionally, which is there are some people that have got 20 years experience and there are some people that have got one year's experience repeated 20 times. I want to be in the former. I want to have that cumulative 20 years worth of building up of experience. I don't want to turn up and last January be the same as the next January. You know, that that has no interest for me. You make some really interesting points there, Jeff. 
but I'm going to use that question that you just uh, used as an example. Can you give me? Can you give me a time where you've ever failed at anything? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I did a I did a little speech at uh, Southampton Football Club last week. Um, they they had an event on. I, I spoke in the evening, and I was asked the same question. And this is genuinely true. If I start that process, I'll be here all day talking to you because there are so many of them. Every day I'll take a decision that might turn out to, on balance, in hindsight, to not have been the best decision. But that's what I'm paid to do. I'm paid to take a decision. Whether it's right, it turns out to be right or wrong, I'm paid to take a decision, to have a mitigation in place in case it's not the right decision, or to have a, a way of amplifying it if it does turn out to be the right decision. That's what I'm paid to do. So you could almost go through my diary and say, pick that day. You know, did you screw some stuff up on that day? Did you learn some stuff? Every day, the answer will be yes. And I think the sign of a great leader, actually, is the resilience to not be unduly affected by the poor decisions, but to learn from them and to go again and to be able to help your team not be unduly affected by the bad decisions so that they can learn from it and let them go again. Because when you work in an organisation or with people that, take the knocks really hard, really hard. It, it's very easy that, you know, I love that, that concept of you're either spiraling up or spiraling down. You're never standing still in, in life or in business. So if you start to spiral down, that can accelerate really quickly and getting yourself to spiral back up again is tough. So when something goes wrong, we all need to support each other to not spiral down, hold firm, learn what we've got to learn, and get on with the upward spiral. And that, that's a great challenge. So every day, I, every day I'll make a mistake, mate. Every day. For people that are listening to this, knowing the position that you're in now, and and I I sometimes get it in my own right where they go, it's all right for you. You've yep. got this or you've got that. And there's a little bit of green-eyed monster or there might be jealousy or whatever it might be. But knowing that, but I know that to be successful in, in whatever your definition of success would look like, takes a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice. Can you describe in your career what that sacrifice may have looked like or that hard work may have looked like from a real-time perspective as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I often smile because in, in our organisation, I've got some absolutely fabulous people you know, who'll be at maybe at, at the early stages of their career development. So maybe they're heading into management or they're in a chief of staff role or a business management role. And, you know, they'll have, the, they'll have evenings or weekends where they're pulling together decks or slide packs and things like that for, for review. And, um, I, you know, occasionally I'll hear the, um, oh, it's all right for you. You know, I spent the Saturday, you know, pulling together a slide deck. And I do smile and think, I probably spent 600 Saturdays in my life pulling together slide decks. That's, what, that's the process you go through to learn and to understand what executives are looking for. And to... But I'll give you two, two specific examples. So when I was at, when I was at Volvo... I did a, um, I realized I needed to, or I wanted to and realized I should do an MBA. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was becoming a currency at the time where if you wanted to make a step into bigger executive roles, it was something that organizations were looking for. You didn't have to have it, but there was something they were looking for. So I did a part-time MBA that was effectively two years and I left work on a Tuesday. So first of all, let me go back. So when I worked at Volvo, I lived in Kent. Their office was in Marlow. I left home at 4.45 in the morning. I got to Marlow at about six o'clock, something like that. Um, I went to the gym because the gym had opened. I worked out in the gym from six until eight because I've no point being at work at that point. 
And then I'd get into work for about 20 past eight. Then I'd do a full day's work. And then at the end of the day, because the traffic was so bad on the M25, there was no point leaving at 5.30. I'd stick around for a bit, let a bit of the traffic go. And I'd probably get home about 8.30 in the evening. So my day was kind of 4.45 to 8.30 in the evening. No kids at that time. I decided to do the MBA part-time. So for two years, um, on a Tuesday and Thursday night, I'd leave work, drive into London, into Westminster, uh, park up, do till 9.30 in the evening, then go home. And for the two years, I'd do at least a full day at the weekend. So from eight on a Saturday through to six o'clock on a Saturday evening, um, revising, studying, writing my papers, doing my assessments, doing my assignments. So there's a period of time for two years where every day started at pretty much 4.45, five o'clock maybe. They were finishing late anyway, but then for two evenings and one day of the weekend, I was studying to try and give myself a better platform. Um, and then fast forward, I'm going to fast forward you to not that long ago, but when I was in the Netherlands, I was the chief exec of a telco in the Netherlands. And, um, you know, I would, I would leave the UK on either a Sunday night or very early on a Monday morning, often a Sunday night, fly to the Netherlands. I would have the working week there without my family. And I would come home late on a Friday night, um, largely get a chance to say goodnight to the kids. And then at the weekend, spend my time with the kids because I haven't seen them for an entire week. And, you know, my, my wife, I say I've been with for 31 years, her and I try and find the time to keep our relationship where it needed to be when we weren't really spending time with each other. You know, we were talking on the phone uh, every night. So I think there's a huge amount of sacrifice. You know, if, if career is really important to you, and it isn't to everybody, but if career is really important to you, there are periods where you sacrifice quite a lot, I think, in order to get the best out of it. What was it about those those two examples where you were able to do what you did? Because working that those two years for your own your own self sanity, as it were, and your own well being. How did you manage to get through that two years? Um, and and then the second part to that question is fast forward into the Netherlands, where that's that what you just described is my career. That's how that and you know. And the effect that it has on the family, like how, how did you manage that, the business and the, and the family side? So there's two parts yeah. to that. Yeah, I think um, they're very different scenarios. So when I did, when I was doing the MBA and working at Volvo, there was just me and my wife. Uh, she was working. I was working. You know, we, I was more career focused. She was incredibly supportive of the fact I was career focused. We have a very big social uh, circle. We live very close to her parents, very close with her family. So it kind of worked. It, 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 it wasn't perfect, but it was very different to a scenario where you've got two young kids and your wife's not working. She's looking after the children and managing the household, which is where we were in the second example. Um, I think because it's quite a selfish endeavour, right, what I've just described. So... It's not a selfless act, you know, and I, I, if I said to you, oh, yeah, but I've done all this so that I can provide a great life for my family. There's a bit of truth in that. But but actually, it's a bit more selfish than that as well, which is I get a lot of my mo a lot of my personal energy and a lot of my motivation comes from complex challenges and leading scale and complexity. So 
it's quite a selfish thing to say I love I love what I do and I love love the fact that I'm able to do it on a big scale and therefore I'm going to sacrifice some parts of family life to be able to do that. Um, and it, do you know the great thing for me, Mo, is a my wife is fabulously understanding of that. We've been together a long time, so she's known it for over thirty years. She knows what I'm like. She's incredibly supportive of that, um, and. I've got a lot of friends who I'm able to reach out and talk to who have been in similar positions that, that talk about how they've managed it and how they've been able to try and balance what is a, a really strong family unit with a really strong career ambition. So I, I've not had to do it myself. I've, I've had lots of guidance along the way. What's interesting now, though, and I don't know if you're finding this, is perhaps what... Perhaps what helped me to be successful through my 20s and 30s is no longer the case now. So um, by that, what I mean is, I think when I was growing up, you needed to be in the office early. You needed to be there late. You needed to be taking on all the challenges. You needed to have a profile. You needed to be presenting to senior people, all of this stuff. You needed to show very little weakness, actually, I think. And I don't think that's the case now. I think we, we're now in a world where we understand the importance of well-being, mental health, um, the importance of family, the importance of things beyond the workplace. Uh, we judge people more on output than we do on visibility, for example. I think it's a much healthier environment, actually, to, to develop and progress your career now than it might have been 20 years or 30 years ago. Do you ever get overwhelmed with volume? Not really, because I there's a couple of things that helped me there. You and I have probably chatted about this in the past, but you know I'm a 15 years mindfulness practitioner. So if I ever feel like I'm I've got lots of stuff coming at me, I'm able to kind of take a moment and recenter myself, and and that I think is a brilliant skill or tip for anybody actually. But the second thing is I'm I'm a real big believer in control the controllables, and I know it's a that phrase is used quite a lot, but. There's so much in my world that I'm not in control of. So much. To create personal anxiety and to push that anxiety down onto my team for things that I can't do anything about seems like a whole waste of energy, effort, time. Uh, and it's very unfair, actually, for the people around you. So I tend to break my day down into what's going on. Let's say it's reactively. What's going on? Why is it happening? And what can we actually do about it? And what, when we know that, let's put a plan together. Or if it's proactively, we're doing some great stuff and it's working really well. How do we push the throttle now and really push on? Because we're in control of it. We're winning. We've got momentum. We're in control of that momentum. I don't spend too much time focusing on the things I'm not in control of. And I, and I do think a lot of people who I find are anxious or are very stressed, it's largely the things they're not in control of that's stressing them as opposed to things they are in control of being out of control, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and, and it's music to my ears because that's exactly the, the, the similar narrative that I, right. would, I would tell people about the controllables. But I think sometimes it can be difficult yeah. if, you're, if you're not self-aware enough to understand, one, you, but two, what those controllables are and what concern, the difference between a controllable and a concern is. Yeah. And it, then the lines become very blurred. And I, I do a lot of work with people um, to try and distinguish between the two, to try and get clarity of thought and take away that pressure. And I think to art, yeah, the times where I'm probably feeling a bit more stress mode, if I analyze them, 
it's largely because something's going on and I don't know where it's going or I don't know the outcome and I'm not in control of it and it's creating some frustration in my world and they're largely the times when I feel under more pressure um which is a great reminder at those moments to go back look at what we're actually doing what we're actually in control of just try and do it a bit better moving back to a point that you made earlier can you describe a time where you've been presented an opportunity that you didn't really know whether you'd be able to do it or not but you accepted and and uh and cracked on with it I think um, I'm not dodging that question. I think you could almost say it about every career progression I've had, though. So, you know, even if I think about if I think about the job I do now, there's loads of bits of my. You know, I've, been, I've been in this industry a long time. I would I, I don't believe anybody that says they've got a big leadership job and they could do the role of all of the people that report to them as well as they do it. That I don't. That doesn't exist in my world. I don't know if it does in the army or the military, but um, I don't know if it does. But so. My job is to, is to manage and to lead people, to help them understand the vision of the business, to help them understand the part they play in realising that vision, to bring clarity where clarity doesn't exist, to bring reward and recognition for the people that are doing the right job, to support those that aren't, um, to make the difficult and uncomfortable decisions. These are all my job. My job isn't to be brilliant in 12 functional roles. And I think when you take a role sometimes, particularly a leadership role, you can be forgiven for thinking, but I don't know exactly how that works. And I don't know exactly how that works. But the good news is you don't have to because you've probably got brilliant people in the team that know exactly how it works. And if you haven't, then you'll go and find some, right? So I think almost every role I've taken, my instinct straight away has been to say, oh, but I don't know. I'm not sure I know how that works. And of course, very quickly, you realise that's not really what you're being paid for to understand how every single thing works. You're being paid to get the most out of the machine, to, to, to build the best machine you can build and then get the most out of it. But that doesn't stop you when you take the step, that kind of new kid at school step. You, you start a new role and you very quickly can be very daunting. You look at it and say, my God, there's a lot of stuff here. Where do I even start with this stuff? And then you go back to basics and you make sure you've got a purpose make sure everyone's clear on the values make sure you you know you understand how the people work what motivates them where they are in their own careers you, you've got to get back to basics anyone that's starting out in business now what what would be your 101 advice to give them with a view to be successful do you mean starting your own business or do you mean if you're going to start any new job in any new company do it. Let's do, let's do both of those. Let's, right, let's do so, one, one if you're starting a job and one if you're starting a business. Okay, so if you're starting a job somewhere, by the way, I also think um, sometimes starting a new job in a new company is a good opportunity. I don't like the term reinvention because you shouldn't reinvent yourself, but it's a great opportunity to reset the dial. So all those things that you wish you'd done slightly differently, great opportunity when you start a new job to do that. But what I would say, first things really important to me, and I know it is to you, you've got to be authentic. So you've got to be you. Because if you try and be somebody else, either you're going to get found out, or it's very difficult, I would imagine, to be somebody that you're not for a long period of time. So just be yourself. All the things you're good at, great. If you have vulnerabilities or the things you're not good at, don't worry. You can still share those as well. We all have them. So just be yourself. Be honest with people about who you are and, and, and what you do and what you strive for. So be authentic. Um, the second thing I would say is um, 
set your stall out quite early what's important so in terms of your balance what you need to get the best out of yourself i think you use a phrase which i love which is about optimizing human performance so whatever you need to do to get the best out of you and therefore to give the organization the best result you've got to work it out so for me i know personally if i don't exercise every day i won't give the organization the best of me i need that i need that if I don't have an opportunity to spend some time with the family, whether that's to have a quick sandwich, see them in the morning, or have a bit of a play with them in the evening, I just need some family time. Otherwise, the organisation won't get the best out of me. Whatever it takes to get the best out of yourself, set that stall out early, because I think it's much easier to, to set the stall out early and let people know what, what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and then that final point we talked about, which is, Either look for the challenges, the difficult things in the business, the complex challenges and take them on. Or if you're handed them, you know, take them with relish. Don't shy away from them. I think for me, they would be they would be the three things, which is understand what gets the best out of you. Um, be yourself. Always be yourself and, and be vulnerable. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. And when a challenge comes your way, grab it because they don't, it's from those challenges you have opportunity. You know, very difficult to, to, to develop and grow your career without any challenges coming your way. I think the only thing I would say, if it's your own business, Mo, so if you and I were starting a business today, I would say, other than there's a lot of people better qualified than me, entrepreneurs, to sit here and say, find the niche in the market that nobody else has got and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't feel qualified to say that. But what I would say is, Small businesses can quite quickly become big businesses. So if you get it right, you might be you and one other person. In a year's time, you could be employing 25 people. In two years' time, you could be employing 250 people. I would go in with the mentality that the business is going to grow and it's going to work. And therefore, the culture you create when you're two people or five people is a culture that will grow to 50 people, 100 people, 250 people. So if you don't think about the kind of environment you want to be working in and the kind of values that are important to you, very quickly, they will decide for themselves because you'll just grow. So I would say to anybody right up front, think about inclusion, think about diversity, think about customer experience, think about well-being, think about the kind of environment you want to you, you want to create. Think about the kind of people and the kind of difference you want to bring into your organization. Do that up front, and I think it pays back. In If you just kind of stumble into it, you'll end up with a business that is probably possibly quite successful, but not a business you would have created if you'd have spent the time to think about it in the first place. Jeff, one final question for you. What's your next big challenge? Well, so as we're talking, I don't know when this will go out, but as we're talking right now, um, so we're still in lockdown. We're in lockdown three. I think um be interested to get your view on this, but I think we... Hopefully the vaccination process goes well and we start to emerge over the coming months into some sense of normality. I think there's two potential challenges there. So first is, I think on a social scale, um, we perhaps come out of one pandemic and we go into a mental health pandemic where people have been starved of social contact, uh, perhaps some anxieties about the, about the virus, perhaps some anxieties about money, about their careers, about their jobs. So I think we need to... We need to make sure we're on that as a society. We need to be on top of that really quickly. Um, the second thing is, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen many people for a year. 
And I look at my children who haven't seen many other kids for a year. I think there's a, there's a challenge of reintegration, you know, going back to working in an office effectively when you've been sitting in at home at a kitchen table for, for a year. So I think that's an immediate challenge. But of course, I have a really big one, which is we announced um, uh, back last year that we were uh, planning to merge with O2 in the UK. So Virgin Media and O2 would become one very large company. Yeah, it doesn't uh, seem we'll, too, too much of a big deal. No, exactly. You can work for me then, though. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're working through that process now. Uh, we hope to get approval from the CMA uh, at some point in the coming months. And of course, when that happens, it's then an incredibly complex challenge of integration, trying to bring together two very large organisations to not miss a beat because you want to bring them together and not go backwards. So you've got to bring them together keep moving forwards um, and make sure that our customers get a great experience, not a negative one. So I think for me, it's about, you know, come out, come out of lockdown, uh, make sure we help people reintegrate into a new way of working at the same time as integrating, a, a hopefully, an amazing joint venture. Jeff, that's been fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. No, you're most welcome. It's Lovely to see really, you again. Really rich content in there. I really great appreciate stuff. it. You stay safe, Mo. Yeah, you too.